Hi, everyone. Welcome to Quality. This is your host, Arjun Venkatesh, where we're exploring quality in emergency care. This is the next episode in our series from our Emergency Quality Network, Equal Stroke Initiative. And I'm joined by my partner in crime, Dr. Corey Zacherson from Mass General Hospital as an emergency physician and stroke researcher. And our special guest today is Dr. Bernard Chang, who's an emergency physician and vice chair of research at Columbia. Uh, he's done a ton of interesting work out there, but today we're going to be focused in on really continuing our discussion about TIA. And when we're talking about TIA, it's about one of the hardest decisions that we make as emergency physicians, which is whether to admit the patient, discharge the patient, observe the patient, what is safe, what can we do, what's the current science telling us? And so, Bernard, I'm going to kick it off with just letting you have a chance to tell us about a study you did that got a lot of press a couple of years ago, right before COVID, called the RAVEN study, where you guys really tried to do something innovative uh, to help get patients to TIA's home. Tell us about it. Yeah, sure. For Thanks so much, uh, Arjun and Corey, for having me join today. Um, with regards to the RAVEN study, a lot of it was driven by some of the observations that we saw in our emergency department with our treatment of both TIA and minor stroke, folks who are staying in the emergency department for quite a while, um, being admitted, and um, oftentimes having quite prolonged workups in the emergency department and in the inpatient setting. Some of the research that was going on outside of the US, in particular in the United Kingdom and France, uh, some trials looked at the, what would say a rapid turnaround treatment in the emergency department where they would uh, do an initial work of a diagnostic evaluation and then from there discharge them to uh, follow up where they would be seen by uh, stroke neurologists or some specialists in a, in a rapid turnaround versus uh, watching them in the, in the hospital. Some of the data initially from those studies were quite encouraging. So talking to our team here in New York, we said, well, what, what could possibly um, be applied from some of those studies in our setting in, in the emergency department? And in particular, for us, the two challenges in particular were um, from a safety standpoint and then also from a practical standpoint. Because as you know, in the emergency department, we serve a, such a diverse range of patients and um, we wanna be able to make sure that oftentimes we are a safety net for patients and um, if we're discharging individuals, we wanted to make sure that they would not be falling through the proverbial cracks. And so that was really uh, the initial spark that kind of uh, uh, kind of led to the development and collaboration with our colleagues here in neurology uh, for the Raven Clinic. That's great. Thanks. In looking through your results, it looks like you really did show that you could do it safely and you could do it well and you were able to you know, follow up with the majority of patients. Um, do you mind just speaking a little bit more about your safety outcomes? I know not all patients made it in for follow-up, but it looked like you did sort of hear from everybody and had good data on um, outcomes. Could you share some of that with our listeners? Yeah, sure, Corey. So um, in designing the RAVEN protocol, we really want to make sure thinking about it from uh, an evidence-based standpoint, but then also from a social um, implementation standpoint in the emergency department, recognizing a lot of those uh, challenging follow-up issues that we see oftentimes in the emergency department. So we really tried to uh, coordinate with our neurology colleagues in making sure that uh, on discharge, all those individuals who are screened in for RAVEN, um, all those individuals with TIA or uh, NIH stroke scale of five or less or uh, non-disabling stroke, um, some of those safety features were addressed then we wanted to make sure uh, that those individuals then had kind of good follow-up. So we tried to make sure the follow-up was established during the ED visit. Uh, we kind of ensured kind of a transportation standpoint. So we actually coordinated with some of our care coordinators or social workers to make sure that was also in place. 
And then lastly, we had a two-step process for following up those individuals, both um, kind of having the contact information as well as um, reaching out to them um, if they were to show up or having some flexibility within scheduling so that ultimately we want to make sure that the onus uh, for those individuals we discharge into the proverbial outpatient ether had uh, a means and closed loop communication for, for the team, for the uh, stroke outpatient team um, to ultimately see with them. So we were able to, with our initial um, follow-up rates, uh, were, were quite successful. And so since then, we, we have had continued success with this. Um, of course, in the setting of the pandemic, it's uh, made things a little bit complicated. So we've had to tweak our protocol a bit, um, but we have had similar um, outcomes kind of upwards of almost around 90, 92% of individuals in Raven, discharge Raven still following up uh, within that 48 hour period. You know, Bernard, that's really interesting when you describe sort of the additional measures you put in place in the emergency department setting for these patients, because I think a lot of TIA protocols are either tough to generalize or a lot of just ED quality improvement interventions are tough to generalize because people often will put exclusions in around these social determinants of health. So anybody that has challenge in transport or anybody that's got challenge in, uh, you know, being able to do telephone follow-up or anybody that's got uh, challenges around their housing security, financial security, you name it, get excluded often from these interventions. It sounds like what you're saying is a little bit different, though. It sounds like you guys said, we'll include them, but we'll try to do some other things so that we can be inclusive of a broader population. Yeah, that's correct, Arjun. And I think that we tried it. So we took an iterative process to this. At the beginning, we wanted to be a little bit more um, strict with some of the exclusion criteria in the sense that we didn't know, A, this is safe, A, this is even feasible. And so with the initial tranche of individuals who were uh, met the inclusion for Raven, we were a little bit pickier in terms of, well, from insurance standpoints and from a follow-up standpoints. But then as we saw that, okay, it seems that discharging some TIA and minor stroke patients seem to be safe and seem to be feasible. And then we're like, okay, we need to be a little more inclusive of the reality of the, the, the fact that mo many of our patients coming in with TIAs or minor strokes um, have different social determinants of health that might drive, make the, the, the practical implementation of, of such a, a strict criteria not really feasible or practical for many of our ourselves here in our department, as well as kind of more of a generalizability standpoint. So we've kind of worked in coordination with um, our social work, our care coordination teams to really try to make this a more practical, um, externally valid um, protocol. And I found personally the most interesting thing in some ways is when, when we started this protocol, I was most worried about things along the safety standpoint from vessel imaging, um, kind of along the lines of some of our other um, guests uh, on this podcast with regards to like the evolution of tissue-based diagnosis and the need for imaging and, and some along those like more what I call pathophysiological um, diagnostic challenges. But what's been probably the biggest challenge with the Raven Clinic has been um, when we say, okay, based on these pathophysiologic criteria, they're okay for discharge and for this 40-hour follow-up. But now how do we actually make sure um, this individual shows up at the clinic? And so that's been one of the biggest challenges for us in terms of coordinating with uh, some of the other services that interface with the emergency department to make this really what I would say a practical and, and uh, implementable um, kind of tool in our kit with uh, treating stroke um, in the emergency department. You know, I got to think that as I'm hearing this, you know, it's important sort of what you're saying, which is it's about sort of your ability to collaborate with other services. It's your ability to sort of 
um, do the blocking and tackling on the ground for sort of basic patient navigation and get them services. But I'm best betting that we've got listeners who are probably also thinking, well, that's Columbia. You know, that's Ivory Tower, Ivy League. It's challenging, sure, in New York City and an urban environment, a variety of other things, but you probably have resources we don't have. If you really had to, you know, push yourself to think about what were the critical resources necessary to have this, are those things that many of the community rural EDs that are part of Equal could sort of muster? It's a great question, Arjun. And I think that when we had thought about Raven years ago, our aspiration actually was one day to be able to think about can we, as emergency physicians, um, think about managing TIA or minor stroke in a way that um, collaborates with our, our specialist colleagues like neurology, stroke neurology, vascular neurologists, but may not be necessary for them to be interfacing with, 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 with us for certain protocols. And so with Raven, as um, you saw in the initial phases, we made sure that we interface with a stroke neurologist. And part of it in some ways was um, you are right. We are living, at least with the study, in a bit of a proverbial uh, ivory tower in the sense that we have stroke, 24 stroke neurology available. We have MRI imaging. We have a lot of these resources that, from a practical standpoint, may not be available in many other clinical settings. Um, but we wanted to take advantage of that, uh, those resources in the initial phases of starting the study to kind of validate it as safe and feasible. But in, in sense, the uh, what I would say, like the evolution since uh, Raven was first started and, and published on, we've started gradually transitioning to this phase of what can we in the emergency department do safely visit without um, interfacing with neurology? Uh, that we want to, um, of course, uh, be in touch with them and collaborate with them, but are there aspects of this protocol that may not need a neurologist? So, um, at, what I mean by that is uh, since the protocol started, for example, during COVID, we had, uh, of course, lots of uh, extreme limitations and resources, um, evolutions in terms of telehealth and kind of the deployment of telehealth technology. And so we had uh, initially had in-person neurology evaluations for some of our stroke evaluations, and we had a transition to telestroke uh, for some of the uh, TIA and minor stroke evaluations in our satellite campus um, within our, our, our university. And based on some of the initial data from there, we saw similar safety feasibility data um, we're now um, proposing to look at uh, a pilot now where um, this protocol is um, kind of internalized within the emergency department uh, without an inpatient uh, neurology consult and then seeing the outcomes from there. And so that's, that's ongoing. So I, I don't have any of the, uh, the data for, from that right now, but I, I, I'll at least say like about two weeks ago when we were initially going to try to do this podcast and then had to um, reschedule. I was, I've since kind of took a first peek at some of that feasibility data. And we are seeing a little bit of similar trends that we have with our existing larger Raven data set. So um, what I would say to that Arjun is that the, there seems to be a lot of the resources potentially that we can be doing it in-house um, without uh, what I say the coordinary or super specialized resources that are available at some of these larger academic medical centers. Um, so it's what I would say is there are, of course, um, certain resources that are available um, at, say, a comprehensive stroke center, but uh, there are still many protocols, hopefully, that will be uh, available to all of our providers, irrespective of uh, practice setting. Yeah, this is great. I think, um, you know, your data are really compelling, and I think the idea of being able to discharge more TIAs and minor strokes from the emergency department is probably, you know, really appealing to so many 
emergency physicians who are listening. And so I, I wonder um, if we could just do a little bit of a thought experiment and put ourselves in the, the place of like an ED director at a community hospital who's trying to make the case to their site that this would be a great thing to work on implementing. How, like, can you share some of your um, cost effectiveness or bed day save data? Like, what are some of the numbers that they could bring back to their hospitals to say, listen, this would really benefit the entire system if we were to implement something like this? No, it, it's it's a great question, Corey. Um, so we've started looking at some of the health economic data, some of the outcome data from Raven with our first tranche of um, initial data. And so the caveat is that with, with the initial tranche of Raven, it was a little bit more exclusive um, in terms of kind of like the criteria to really, we really wanted to make sure that uh, folks were really following up. So folks were really kind of plugged in with, we had a social worker and we had kind of things that I think now um, as we expanded Raven, um, some of those resources are not as readily available, but we did see uh, from a 30 day rehospitalization standpoint, those individuals um, compared to uh, kind of match controls, individuals who were along the traditional route of being brought inpatient um, for their TIA or minor stroke, they had approximately about a 20% reduction in their 30-day rehospitalization compared to individuals who had similar TIA minor strokes were admitted. Um, so yeah, a 20% uh, reduction in your 30-day uh, rehospitalization. And then from the standpoint of an all-cost dollar utilization uh, for those individuals, uh, we also had uh, essentially about uh, an eighteen hundred dollar uh, reduction in their cost per hospitalization uh, for individuals in a Raven clinic, and I think most of the bulk. If you look at the eighteen, where where those dollars saved were from from the healthcare utilization standpoint, um, the proportion of those was sent for or saved from uh, the hospitalization costs, kind of costs associated with hospitalization and, and kind of like prolonged length of stay. So I think some of those days were, were encouraging for our operations team uh, from that standpoint. And I think one of the things that we've also been very curious about is um, interface with other emerging technologies within the, within the healthcare system, in particular like telehealth. And so uh, we've had now uh, with Raven, um, there is it's a bit of a hybrid mix for uh, patients that both with inpatient uh, in-person uh, evaluations as well as uh, tele-remote evaluations. And uh, what we have seen is an increase in adoption for those uh, individuals who, if you look at kind of the historic demographic of some of those individuals, um, older adults um, who is some a little more from a technological um, adoption standpoint is not as been high, at least with our, within our population that we're serving. And we do see kind of an increased adoption from that standpoint too. So I think there's all this, what I would say, some of the, what I would say, the positive direct effects um, for uh, utilization of a protocol like this, but then there's also some indirect benefits too, as well, um, both with um, the patient engagement and adoption too, as well. I, I want to dig into that patient engagement one a little bit more because I can imagine from a patient's perspective, you know, they're coming to the ED because they're afraid they're having a stroke. And that for most people can be one of the most, you know, terrifying days of their lives. Uh, they've come to the emergency department. They're probably feeling a little bit better about the fact that they're getting better or their symptoms are milder. Um, but I think I would imagine there's a handful of patients that probably thought that they are going to get hospitalized and that this gets worked up and that there may be even all kinds of treatments and things done in a hospital setting. Um, and so how does that how does that experience tend to go with patients when you're talking to them 
And they sort of, it's a little bit of reverse for maybe what some of them were expecting to hear that they could actually go home and that they're going to be all right or that there's a follow-up and that this doesn't have to be done in the hospital. Um, so we're very interested in the patient experience, the psychological outcomes in patients with TIA or minor strokes. Actually, one of our studies that we've been looking at has been looking at the rates of what we call post-traumatic stress or PTSD among individuals of stroke. So it's quite surprising, but most of us, when we think about PTSD, we think about it with um, war trauma, sexual trauma, but there has been a, a lot of literature talking about individuals who suffer from stroke or heart attacks or myocardial infarctions have rates of PTSD upwards of um, 20% in individuals. And this impacts not just psychological outcomes, but also um, health outcomes. Uh, most many of these individuals with PTSD uh, go on to have increased one-year overall morbidity and mortality compared to individuals who survive a stroke or ACS event, acute coronary syndrome event, uh, without PTSD. And one of the things that we've been very interested in with the Raven Clinic was uh, some of the factors that seem to drive the PTSD risk for some of these individuals have been uh, prolonged hospitalization and exposure to what I would say some of the occupational stressors that we in the in our profession are exposed to with, with crowding, noise, uh, sleep dysrhythm, um, circadian cycle that you're seeing that you know sleep well, you're not you're sleeping terribly in the hospital, you're eating terribly terrible food, you're not mobile, and so a lot of these risks of the hospitalization experience in turn accelerate some of the stress that many of these individuals survive in acute medical event, such as a stroke experience. And so um, with some of these patients, we have we do have a minority patients to Arjun, your point where they say, hey, I came here with a, this potential life-threatening event. Why am I not being admitted to the hospital? Um, what's going on? But it's been interesting seeing from the qualitative data that we have that many of them seem to be reassured that when the providers um, are saying, hey, um, good news, you know, we've done this evaluation and, and uh, it is concerning that you seem to have this medical event called a TIA or a minor stroke, but the good news is it doesn't seem that, that anything, we need to do anything immediately right now for that. And we have a good actual plan, safety plan for you to follow up um, in a short-term timeframe for that. And many of the patients, I think we've, we've been pleasantly surprised by the positive um, uh, feed, feedback that we've had from the patients about this, because we do follow up with many of our raving patients about kind of their experience from this. And um, are, are we happy with being discharged? Do you prefer to be admitted? And uh, we see mostly about 77% of individuals who are discharged to raven clinic do prefer to be discharged rather than be admitted. And we have been following up uh, PTSD rates for this sample of individuals in Raven, um, part of our larger study of PTSD and stroke that we've been, um, been doing here uh, at Columbia. And we've seen that actually there are rates of PTSD compared to uh, individuals with similar stroke severity scores is a bit lower. Um, I, I would say it's about um, about 11, 12% compared to uh, 17, 18% that we see on, on, on the whole with, with, our, with our sample. So it's hard to say that the Raven Clinic itself is driving this difference per se, or maybe there's, maybe there's a difference in the type of individuals who are being discharged. But I think at least it, it's reassuring from the standpoint that um, with that positive, with that difference, and also with the qualitative feedback that we're getting from our patients who are discharged from Raven Clinic, that uh, it seems that patients seem to be okay with that decision to kind of discharge them versus admit them. And we're actually potentially even seeing some positive benefits from not having that long exposure to the hospital. That's really interesting. And particularly, thank you for sharing that additional research. I think often we get really focused in, in emergency medicine on this narrow question of, you know, 
is this person going to have a stroke in the next 42, 48 hours? It's a very kind of clinical risk averse type of outcome, but it's one of many, many different outcomes. And you guys have certainly been thinking about that safety outcome, but you're thinking about a person's whole health, their mental health and things like that are over the course of acute illness. And when we take that lens to it, I really think that one of, one of the things I really appreciate and take away from today's discussion is that setting up these models of care to discharge patients with TIA is aligned with many patients' preferences. It may be better for their uh, health to be able to avoid hospitalization and better for their mental health. It is certainly more efficient and better in terms of our use of scarce hospital resources, particularly at a time when we've got fewer and fewer inpatient beds available. We've got unprecedented levels of crowding and boarding in our EDs. Um, and I think probably uh, the most important thing at the end of all this is that we can really do this safely and we should really think about care a lot differently than maybe what we were taught in residency. So thank you for joining. Thank you for making us all a bunch smarter and we hope to have you back on a future Equal podcast. No, thanks, Arjun. Really a pleasure. And just a, a quick shout out to all the listeners too as well is that anyone interested in uh, collaborating over this too as well, we, we really love to kind of hear from you. We want to hear from a group of diverse folks outside of the ivory tower too as well i think we want to make something like this uh, really workable for you know all of our our listeners and all emergency physicians out there so thanks again